0: Hey, it's a red letter day this summer because, uh, we're starting back with, uh, children's worship. So, Mr. Perry is ready to, oh, and Mrs. Perry, the missionary to Spain, uh, is uh, ready to take you out and, uh, do, uh, children's worship. So kids, hurry up. The train's leaving. Let's go. Okay? There you go. Who said you can't run in church? Not me. Okay. So we're, uh, starting today a, a new series that we're going to be in until Advent on the parables of Jesus. And so, um, which is, uh, such a, a, an interesting thing in many ways because, uh, uh, we, we're very familiar with what Jesus said. It, I mean, you, you, you could go almost anywhere, uh, uh, in, in America and somebody will know something about, say, the prodigal son or something like that, right? They're very familiar, right? Which makes them uh, uh, really, uh, really uh, dangerous uh, uh, things because uh, if it's familiar to us, uh, it loses its oomph usually, right? Usually it, it loses its uh, impact on us. So, uh, Scott, go ahead and put some notes up there. Before before I read the text, a couple of things um, I want to say about this parable uh, in particular, and that is this parable... Uh, is frankly, uh, it may not be your favorite parable, the parable of the sower, but it's the most important. And the reason why it's the most important is, it is a descriptor to us of the work of God in the world. What Jesus is doing, what he continues to do, what he did, uh, is all encapsulated in... Uh, um, in in this parable, and so in, in many ways, it is the kind of the paradigm that the describes the work of God uh, in the world. Um, we're so familiar with it, uh, and the imagery that we find it hard to believe that the disciples and the crowd had a hard time understanding it, uh, because we all know, you know, any uh, every all of us know, you know, what seeds stand for and. What the soil stands for. I mean, we even out there in our recruiting poster for children's ministry, we, we have the word plant a seed, right? So we, we're very familiar with that kind of imagery, right? And so we read that when we see that the crowd and the disciples were like, what, what was going on? Uh, that, that's a little hard for us to understand because frankly, in the context here, it comes out of nowhere and would have certainly seemed mysterious. It would be like this. If I got up here this morning and said, A guy went out to cut his grass. He got his lawnmower out of the shed, brought it out, checked the gas, cranked it, and he cut the grass. Some of the grass was tall. Some of the grass was not so tall. Some places it was just dirt and there was no grass. And then he stopped. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, you didn't understand what the point of that was. You didn't get the deep spiritual significance of that, right? <laughs> That's what Jesus. If, if Jesus did this in my seminary preaching class, he would flunk. You know why? Because you never tell a story and you never give an illustration that you have to explain. Because if you have to explain it, it's bad. He had to explain it. So Jesus would have flaunt preaching 101 at Reformed Theological Seminary, right? Which actually says more, well, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> right? Frank, frankly, okay? So, so the fact is, so we read this, and we go, oh, I got this nailed, I understand what all of this is about, and I understand what's going on here, and, and, you know, all, all, all of this, you know, this, tell me something about this that I don't know, right? Well, the, the fact is, we have to see this coming in the context. And the context is people, people are utterly unprepared for what Jesus is doing. They are utterly unprepared for what he is teaching. And so, so we, we lose the impact in some ways and the startlingness of, of what is happening here because we're so familiar with it and we, we align ourselves naturally in the story with Jesus. Or maybe in this case, you don't align yourself. With Jesus, but you align yourself with being the good soil. The point of the parable is not be good soil, as we'll see. Okay, uh, and so so as we as we look at this, we have to we have to these these stories are told not just to to, to give us a moral. They're not like Aesop's fables. But they are revelations to us of the purpose of God and the work of God uh, uh, in the world, and so and, and and it is mysterious and it is it is completely unexpected, particularly for the crowd there uh, as they hear it. And so as we as we look at this at, at this parable today, uh, uh, I, I, I pray and I hope that the Spirit will will just open us up a little bit uh, to being startled. And surprised uh, at what Jesus is doing, because remember, uh, we're so familiar and so uh, comfortable with the parables that many of these stories were told. And the reaction of the crowd wasn't just we don't understand, but we want to kill you. <laughs> right. So uh, it should be a little startling to us. So let me read to you Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. The text is uh, in the bulletin and also uh, up on the screens behind me. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says you will indeed hear, And did not hear it Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So one of the things, Scott, go ahead and put my notes up there. So one of the things that you have to, to see about this is, is that this is very mysterious, right? Because one of the things that is, is weird about it, no, no self-respecting teacher teaches in a way knowing that what they're doing will be confusing and unclear to a large portion of the audience. But what Jesus is saying here is, listen, you know, what, it, what he's talking about and what he is revealing here is spiritually revealed. That God is sovereignly opening eyes and hearts of some to see and to hear and to understand. And so the fact is that the disciples have a middling, kind of a middling understanding of what's going on here. Most of the people in the crowd really don't have any kind of understanding about what's going on at all. And, 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 and part of the way that we know that they don't understand what's going on, it's not just that Jesus is teaching them in parables that it's hard to understand, but that he is teaching them in parables at all. Uh, because one of the things that you have to see about this is if, 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 if I were to say to you, you know, what would be your expectation for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in the world where the God come in the flesh, what would it be like? What, what would he be talking about? How, how would he communicate that to us? If you look at the beginning of the bulletin, there's a quote from uh, Robert uh, Capon's book where he says, Given our druthers, our pet illustration of the kingdom would probably be a giant nail driven into the world, appropriately enough, by a giant hammer in the hand of a giant god, something noisy and nois- noticeable and destructive, frankly. But a seed... A seed? A seed. Right? So so what Jesus is saying here is something that, that kind of is completely uh 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 off the rails. Because this audience, when they think about the kingdom of God, they think about a real kingdom, right? With a real king, with real power. All of this is talking about stuff that happens in your garden that seems kind of really quiet and just just kind of yeah, not very exciting. So so as we look at this, and we'll we'll follow this uh, kind of paradigm as we go through uh, these parables and, and helping us interpret them over the next couple of months, is we'll ask some questions about who and, and uh, the, the characters are and, and, and try to ha- come at some understanding of what they represent and, and what Jesus is getting at uh, by using the figures that he uses. So the first one is, who is the sower? Now, now the way we, one of the ways that we tend to think about this is, is we, we, we sometimes default into the thinking that, you know, that the sower uh, is, is us, right? uh that in some way or another, or at least in this context, it's Jesus and and it's his teaching ministry that he's doing. And and there's certainly truth to that. I, I would I would say that 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 there's there's some reality to that. But I, I think if you look at this this parable and the totality of what's happening here, there's something more that's going on. And ultimately what I would say is what I think is true here is wherever the word is spoken, wherever the word of God is is, uh, is proclaimed. Wherever it is lived out in community, the work of the sower is happening. Okay? And so the, the, the fact is, I am not so much a sower as I am someone who, are, who is participating in and responding to the one who has already sown. And in fact, I would say to you that as we look at, as, as this parable kind of unfolds for us, that a better way to look at the sower is to see it not just as Jesus is the sower, certainly, but that God himself is the one who is sovereignly at work in the world doing this business of sowing. And doing this business of seeing to it that the seed gets spread. And so, so as we, as we think about this, this the, there's some great news in this because what Jesus is doing is he is loving his disciples and loving us by telling us that the sower loves the world. That the act of sowing, that the act of going forth and doing this is an act of love, an act of redemption, an act of joy, an act of anticipation. And so this, this God who sees this world, who made this world, is at work sowing. And he, as he is sowing, that is an evidence to us of love. But there's also a very specific individual point of love in this text as well. When Jesus is using this parable to, to describe to the disciples what ministry is like, what, what, what is happening here, he is loving them. He is encouraging them because he is describing for them the way this thing works. Now, the way we tend to think about it is, is that we're very results-oriented. We we would like a big hammer and a big nail and a big show and a big spreadsheet and all of that kind of stuff to demonstrate the power of the gospel. But what Jesus is saying is, the power of the gospel, the power of the work here, is not found in these things, but found in the slow, quiet work that God is doing. Don't be knocked off your game. Don't be discouraged. When what you think is going to happen doesn't happen or the seed does not seem to be as effective as you want it to be. Because, friends, the truth is there's nothing wrong with the seed. Even the seed that gets eaten by the birds, that's what seeds for. It's acting like a seed even when it's getting eaten by the birds. And when the seed falls in the ground and it roots up and then it gets choked out, that's not the seed's fault, right? There's nothing defective with the seed. The seed's good, always good. And the seed always acts uh, uh, as good. And so God's God's in charge of that, right? So the, the seed continues to act like a seed. Now, uh, the, the, the thing that is uh, uh, it, pretty profound about this is, though, what do seeds do? Well, first of all, most seeds are small um we we were just in uh, north carolina uh, and when you drive through eastern rural north carolina it, it's stunning really stunning that in america in 2018 there are still t- tobacco fields <laughs> i'm like did i thought we outlawed that <laughs> right and and so there's a lot of tobacco out there and which does my heart good cuz i grew up around tobacco okay i did um, and so one of the things that you notice about if, if you've ever seen a tobacco seed, you probably haven't seen it. Because it is so tiny, so tiny that it, it's like a it's like a flake of dust. You can't tell where it is when you drop it in the ground. You can't see it. It's so small. And tobacco plants get really big, really big from that tiny little thing that you can barely see. Now, what does that seed do, do? Well, it goes in the ground and it acts like a seed. And what does a seed do the first, when it first goes into the ground? It dies. It dies. It gives up its life, in a sense, so that something bigger, fuller, more fruitful grows from that. So this there's there's a lot of the I I, I want you to this might be confusing. And you know what? Since we're since we are following the lead confuser, Jesus Christ, I'm willing to confuse you with this a little bit this morning, because the, the fact is, I think you can make a good case that the seed is the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world and atoned for sins and risen again. But I also think you can equally make a case that the seed is Jesus. Didn't Jesus say of himself that a grain of wheat must fall into the ground and die to produce fruit, right? So I think, I think, I think the life that Jesus wants to bring to the world, the, the life that God the Father wants to bring to the world and that the Holy Spirit brings to the world is there in that. And so, so what you have to see about this is, is that this seed is always good and it's always acting as a seed and it's always doing its work. Right? Uh, that's, that's, that's a, that's a big comfort for us, right? So, so we, we can know and we can trust that there, that God is at work in and through this seed and so, uh, we need not worry and we need not fret. Uh, the seed is good. And it will do what seed does. Um, all of the different responses to the seed are to be expected. Um, there's, there's nothing about this that should surprise us or shock us. Jesus is loving his disciples and loving us by telling us that the fact is that the work of this spreading the seed, the work of the seed in the world, actually is happening in a largely hostile environment. That there is much that is... Against the seed, there's much against the seed actually growing and germinating and and producing fruit. And so, um, ironically, though, you know, when we, we we read about the birds coming, we read about the the uh, the, uh, the roots not uh, being very deep and about the weeds coming and choking. Uh, this is a step too far. But to just show you how powerful the seed is, if you study these things. You know when birds eat seeds, what do they do with them? They plant them. <laughs> Did you know that? That's a way a lot of stuff gets planted in the world. Some bird ate that seed and then dropped it after he ate it. Get my drift? And so so the uh, one one of the there there's a there's a sense in which even in that this this work is getting done, right? So it's a pretty profound picture. So Jesus wants the disciples to say, listen, we're going to do this work. And we're going to be involved in this, in this, in this work. And, and, and there's going to be death. And there's going to be resurrection. And there's going to be fruitfulness. But there's also going to be disappointment. And there's going to be difficulty. And just a little bit, John the Baptist is going to be put into prison. And his head is going to be chopped off. Some of the crowd is going to begin to fall away. Jesus is going to begin to talk to his his disciples about the fact that he has to go to Jerusalem and be killed, right? And they're not going to understand. Because it seems to us like these things should not be so hard. But the fact is, what God is saying is, you don't have to worry about it. The seed is good. The sower loves the world. And guess what? Regardless of what happens... The world ends in a harvest. A harvest. Fruitfulness. A harvest. Now, it's the middle of August. And we're dull. And some of you can't wait for school to start. Some of you are dreading school starting. Some of you are just hot. Some of you are bothered. Some of you are bored. Some of you are afraid. Some of you are sad. Wherever you are, wherever the seed is, the heart of God is to love the world in such a way that by his ministry and by his work, he brings harvest. That's our hope. That's our trust. In fact, it's our only hope. And our only trust is that this sower is doing his work. And that is what we hook into and that is what we believe and that is what we trust. Not the fluctuations of, of reputation or the fluctuations of the market or the fluctuations of my body or my hope. My hope today is in the harvest that Jesus Christ will bring because the seed is good and the sower loves the world. And though it may be a hostile environment, it ends in harvest. What makes soil good? Now, we 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 see this and we think, well, it must be something fixed up or something like that that makes the soil good. The way we tend to perceive this parable is the guy's going out and he's just indiscriminately throwing the seed. And some lands over here, some lands over here, some lands over here. And there must be something about the soil that's good that makes it particularly receptive. The reason why we don't understand this is most of you have never really sown seed. Okay? We tend to think that you sow seed, you just go out and there's dirt and you sling seeds on it and it comes up. That's dumb. It's really dumb. (laughs) You don't have to go to Virginia Tech and study agriculture to know that that isn't ever going to work, okay? The good soil is soil. What you do is you go and you get a plow and you plow a furrow and you sow the seed. The good soil is good because somebody has prepared it. Somebody has made it such that it will receive the seed and bear fruit. The sower, who knew that? I just thought he went out and started slinging seeds and that some of it came up and some of it didn't. No, the sower's no dummy. He knows what he's doing. He prepares the soil. And so we read this and we think, well, you know, what about the 30, 60, or 100%? Don't worry about that. If you're only a 30% seed, your joy is going to be that there's 100% seed. So relax. The good news is that there's... that that. What happens in this is that the Lord loves us enough that as he sows the seed, he also guarantees the fact that we'll be fruitful. He's sovereign in this. He's in charge. It's his world. It's his field. It's his seed. Next slide. So what you have to see about this is all of this is first and foremost from God himself. That all of this activity that Jesus is kind of quaintly describing in this parable is something uh, that comes from him, because you see one of the things and, and, and it takes it takes the work of God in me to believe that because the truth is most of what happens in this work of the seed happens underground, that i don't even see it, that I am not aware of it, right and that you place the seed in the ground and you cover it up and you then you know what happens i would i i um, sometimes i think hydroponic gardening would be better because it's just in the water you can see everything that's going on right you don't you don't put it in the dirt i like to see uh we were while we were at the beach um i had the time to think a little bit about um you know, our 25th anniversary is coming up. I don't usually have time to think, and so vacation's good to actually think. And I was reflecting back on one of the big reasons, big reasons, and this is legit. This is what I was thinking. One of the big reasons why uh, I felt like we could take the risk to plant the church is because the corporation, Motorola, was going to move its headquarters to West Creek. In 1994. 3,500 jobs. So I thought, I made a joke with several of you. We should call it the Motorola Presbyterian Church so when they get here, they know that we're ready for them, right? And I thought, you know, if we can just get 1% of those families to come here, we can have a viable church. All of those of you who work for Motorola at West Creek, raise your hands. right (laughs) you know if somebody said they're never coming and I I can't remember why they didn't come I I think it was in the paper it said to frustrate a church planner in the West End but (laughs) um, they were just tricking him but uh, yeah look at that hidden unseen Unexpected, powerful, fruitful. Lastly, um, you may wonder and be uh, just kind of knocked off your game to think that somehow or other you're disqualified from fruitfulness, that because you're sick or old, young and inexperienced, Um, new, you're a big sinner, whatever your particular bent is, that somehow or other uh, fruitfulness and an ultimate harvest of righteousness and the glory of God is beyond your reach. And I'm here to tell you, it is. (laughs) It is. But... Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But connected to me, you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. And one of the ways that fruit is born, uh, and, and one of the ways we see it illustrated in this context is, the fruit is born simply by receiving the seed. Simply taking what is given the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his work for us, and the hope of his coming glory, just receiving that. And in receiving that, we can trust the sower to see to it that we bear fruit, and the day will come when there will be a harvest. Let's use these words of institution, the Lord's Supper, uh, as they're printed in the bulletin and also uh, up on the screens behind me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Now, let's confess our sins uh, by using this prayer of confession. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, forgive us. Instead of being separated from the world, we coddle our secret sins and seek fruit from them. Instead of receiving your word, we are shaped by every other voice, belief, and perspective. Instead of eagerly taking up our cross to follow you and your mission to the world, we choose sheltered and self-focused and self-serving lives. Lord Jesus, word of the Father, have mercy on us. Our only hope is in your finished work. You lived the life we should have lived. You died the death we should have died. And our place as our substitute to make atonement for our sins. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. Don't ever forget that the sower loves the world. Don't ever forget that the seed belongs to the sower, but so does the world. You can trust him. Will you trust him? You can trust him. He is for you. He is with you. And he is seeing to it that his fruit is being born and it is leading to a harvest. Your only hope, your only trust is the work of the sower and the seed that he sows. If you've come to that place where you uh, know that that's your only hope and your trust, even though sometimes you forget it and sometimes it seems pretty remote, but that's all you got because that's all there is, then he invites you this morning to be renewed, to be restored. If you've trusted that hope, you proclaim that to a body of believers, then he wants you today to be refreshed and to be invigorated for the purpose of fruit bearing, for the purpose of growth, for the purpose of a harvest. As uh, the elders and deacons come down front to assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, Uh, all the bread uh, is bread,